Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth. We're going to pick up with this new year, 2023, and where we left off in 2022. And this book of 2 Samuel chapter 19. And we're just about through with this book also, believe it or not. So if you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Uh, so 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1. And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So, excuse me, Joab is sort of the army general for King David's army. The king they're talking about is David, same David and Goliath David. And Absalom, who he's mourning for, is his son, who tried to take the throne from him, actually got him exiled so that he ran away from the throne, and Absalom was going to take over with a crew of people he found to follow him. A seditious act, just like January 6th, um, but it wasn't successful. Uh, Absalom died pretty early on in the whole thing. And now so King David has returned to take the kingdom back from his son, who's now deceased. Uh, verse 2. So the victory that day was turned in the morning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day the king is grieved for his son. So even though his own son is who chased him off, he's upset at the fact that his son had to be the one to die for um his treachery, basically, and the people all around him have taken notice of it. Verse 4, the king, I'm sorry, verse 3, and the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. So the people, rather than being joyous over the victory that they have, instead are acting quiet and ashamed as if they'd been beaten. Yeah, but it's all because whatever the king does, the people seem to mimic. So the king is upset about his son being dead. Um, even though, again, it's his son who ran him off. Um, so the people are just mimicking what he does. They're not rejoicing. They're not putting off any fireworks. They're very subdued because the king is subdued. Verse 4, but the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So David is really in his feelings about losing his son, Absalom. Because now that's two sons he's lost in just a few years, not to mention the daughter that was raped by one of his sons. Um, he's got a scandalous family. Verse 5, Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you've disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives, and the lives of your concubines. So Joab is uh, giving him a piece of his mind. He's going off on David, saying it's shameful and disgraceful. He's out there whining and crying over his dead son when um, his, his life was just very narrowly spared by the actions of his, uh, his army, Joab, and the people who are following him. And notice all the people that he said he saved, his um, sons and daughters, and also his wives and his side pieces, his concubines. Verse 6, and that, and that you love your enemies and hate your friends, for you've declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. So Joab is no fool. He notices how broken up David is about his treacherous son Absalom being dead. And he's telling David, he can tell that if, um, if it had went the other way, and Absalom had killed all of them, Joab, all of his army, and his sons, and, and uh, all that were with him, aligned, allied with him, 
then King David would have been just fine with that as long as Absalom had lived. So you can imagine he's not feeling good about all of that, realizing that that's how the person he's being loyal to is and that the loyalty doesn't go both ways. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 7, Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants, for I swear... Uh, now therefore, I'm going to read it again. Verse 7, Now therefore arise and... Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. Swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, nor not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. So I had to go back and reread it um, and carefully read what I've said out loud. If you've read with me before, you understand why. Um... I don't swear by the Lord. That's something Jesus tells us not to do, as Christians not to do. So that's one thing you'll notice. That's one way of um, one example of something being in the Bible, and Bible thumpers saying you're supposed to be faithful to everything from Genesis to Revelation. But if you're faithful to that and saying that out loud, or even aside from that, if you swear by the Lord or swear at all um, in any other part of your life, absolutely feel free to do that. But also feel free to know that that's not what Jesus tells us to do. That's the anti-Christ of what it's anti. It's against what Jesus tells us to do, making it anti-Christ, making it anti-Christian. Jesus tells us in the Gospels as Christians uh, not to swear at all, but let our yes be yes and our no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. That's Matthew 5.37. Um, I believe that's what it is, but you can search it for yourself and see. I think that's what it is, though. Um, so uh, just one more example of how religion will tell you one thing, uh, but Christianity is not the same thing as religion. Christianity is supposed to be based on what Christ says, those red letters, like we've said again and again. So anyway, what Joab is saying here is that, uh, he swears to God that if David doesn't go out and, um, make a victory speech to the people who are following him, then all of them are going to abandon him. And that will be worse for him than all the stuff that's happened to, happened to him so far from Goliath to this moment. Verse, so he's basically telling him, get out there and say something to your people and let them know you're still on their side and that you regard their lives uh, just like you regard your son's life who stabbed you in the back. Verse 8, then the king arose and sat in the gate and they told all the people saying, there's the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. So um, now they hear that David is sitting out in the public square, basically. And so they word has gone, gone around, so all the people have reemerged also from hiding. Uh, verse 9, now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he's fled from the land because of Absalom. So now they're talking about the turn of events, how David was uh, valiant when he came to fighting Goliath. He was valiant and aggressive when it came to fighting the Philistines. He'd even pick fights with some of the surrounding people around him. But when he came to facing his son, he packed it up and uh, turned tail. So they say he ran from him. He didn't face that head on at all. Instead, he was willing to give up the whole kingdom and let his son take over. Um, so the people are talking about all of that. Verse 10, but Absalom, whom we anointed over us, 
has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So now they're saying, even though they backed the wrong horse, they decided that Absalom was the one that they would have as ruler over them. Now he's dead now. So now they're wondering, well, why don't we just go ahead and let, uh, why are we being slow to say long live the king and take David back again? Verse 11, so King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest saying, speak to the elders of Judah saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house since the words of all Israel have come to the king to, this, to his very house? So um, what he's talking about is the division between the different tribes. All of the tribes are considered Israelites, but for whatever reason, all of them except one, Judah, are considered Israel at this point. Judah is considered the one tribe loyal to David, since that's basically the tribe of his um, lineage, of his family. So um, it's counted separately than all the rest of the tribes. So what he's saying there is how come his own people are the last to want to have him back as king, even though all the rest of the tribes who align themselves with Absalom, his son, are now ready to take him back and declare him as their ruler again. Verse 12, you're my brethren, you're my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? So again, he's reflecting on the fact that the people of Judah are the ones that he has shares a bloodline with most directly, even though, again, all of the tribes are Israelites and all of them descend from the same patriarchs. But he's asking them, why are they the last to do it? And that reminds me of what Jesus says. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Um, letting us know that no matter how the world may receive you, you can never go home again, as the saying goes, because the people who knew you first as a kid, as a child, when you first began, when you first get going, they're not ever going to see you the same way that strangers see you. And transgender people probably know that better than most, because no matter how you change yourself physically or what you do in your life or achieve or whatever happens to you in your life, the people who knew you as the gender you were born um, are always going to see you that way. No matter even if all the rest of the world accepts you as the gender you've now chosen with the name you've chosen rather than the name you were given, the people who knew you back then are still going to see you as you were. Um, it's crazy, but it's how it is. I've seen it in my own family that that's how 99% of them are. Um, so he's wondering how come the people who knew him from before, his closest uh, relatives, are the last to um, bring him back. Verse 13, and Amasa, and say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to, and more also, if you're not commander of the army before the, me continually in place of Joab. So David is showing more of his treachery. Joab is the one who just saved his life from his own son, Absalom. But now David is letting Amasa know, someone else, he's gonna be the general now instead of Joab. Um, very treacherous, uh, something David has displayed before. Um, Joab has been faithful. Joab is the one who just encouraged him to go out and rather than lose all of his army and lose all the people who are, um, who followed him faithfully to go out and speak comfort to them. Joab is the same one who's done that. Joab has been his faithful general, um, through a whole lot of his dark times, but now just like that, because Joab is also the one, I don't know if it's been mentioned to him yet. Joab is the one who killed Absalom um, 
Um, but David is not being faithful to him at all. Now he's letting Amasa know before he even tells Joab that Amasa is now his new general. Verse 14, so he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word to the king, return you and all your servants. So now his own people, the people of Judah, have um, sent message to David saying, return to us. So uh, they were persuaded by his speech and probably by um, uh, pronouncing Amasa as the new general also. Verse 15. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. So King David was in exile, on the run from his own son Absalom, um, and now he's returning back to the throne, and the people are going out to meet him at the Jordan River. Verse 16, And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah, to meet King David. So is this the same Shimei who was cussing and clowning and kicking up dirt and throwing rocks at David as he was leaving the city before? Let's see. Verse 17. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba the servant of the house of Saul and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. So Ziba was the servant of Ishbosheth, Mephibosheth, I think it was. One of Jonathan's children, or Jonathan's son, Jonathan David's former paramour, someone he shared love with, um, who's dead now. But his son is who David restored all that was his, all that was Jonathan's to him, and all that was Saul's to him. Um, but when David was on the run, leaving the city in exile, Ziba was the one who met him and told him that um, Saul, uh, Jonathan's son, didn't join him for the exile as they were leaving because he was waiting to see if the kingdom would be, would be restored to him. And when we read about it, we weren't, I wasn't sure when we read it, whether that's what uh, Ziba made up about his um, boss, his master, uh, Mephibosheth, or if it was actually what Mephibosheth said and was kind of treacherous in doing so and not following David while he's being exiled or at least offering to leave with him as he's being exiled. It was unclear. It seemed to me like it was the servant being treacherous, but it wasn't a, It wasn't clear by the way it's written. So now you see them coming back out to meet uh, David as he's returning to the throne. Both um, Shemi, the person who's cussing and clowning, and also Ziba, the servant who sent, who took provisions out to David as he's being exiled, but also left that um, message about um, Mephibosheth with David. So, so it was such a disappointing message to David or upsetting to him that in, in, in that moment, just like he's been treacherous to Joab and took the title of general basically from him and given it to Amasa, in that same moment when Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, showed up, he took all of the property um, that he'd given to our that he'd allowed to be uh, transferred back to um, Mephibosheth from him and given it to his servant Ziba, just like that. Very, very treacherous, very unfaithful um, behavior by David. Um, but I guess it's human nature. When you feel betrayed, you might feel the urge to do some betraying back. So now let's see how that goes now that he's running into him on his way back to the kingdom.
verse 18. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. So Shimei um, uh, cussed and clowned and kicked up dirt as David was leaving, calling him out for all his treacherous behavior. But now that he sees the king is on his way back to the throne, he's humbling himself probably to save his neck. Verse 19, then he said to the king, do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord, the king, left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. So Shimei is basically saying, forgive me. Don't hold my words against me that I clowned you as you were leaving the city before. Verse 20, for I, your servant, know that I've sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord, the king. So Shimei knows he's um, got to humble himself. He's got to apologize, basically, if he wants to save his neck. And he's apologizing and saying he was wrong and he sinned in calling David out and for all his treachery, which he wasn't lying. David was treacherous, but he knows now that David is coming back to power. So he has the authority uh, of the people and the throne with him if he wanted to, to pay him back for it. So he's shown up first, he's saying, to apologize. Verse 21, but Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, shall not Shemi be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? So there to go again with that Lord's anointed thing. It's the same um, justification that David used when he uh, was being exiled before. Instead of by Absalom, his son, he was being ex exiled by Saul, the first king of the Jewish people. Um, when he was hunting him, he had David, ex David exiled and ran away from him. And when he had the opportunity to kill him, he used that same, oh, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed as his justification for not uh, taking Saul out when he had the chance to. So now they're using the sort of same um, uh, rationale when it comes to um, David, avenging David by killing um, Ziba. I'm sorry, not Ziba, but Shimei for his cussing and clowning. Um, but the person doing it is Uriah. That's one of Joab's people, family. They're both related to David. They're like cousins. Um, but um, let's see how he responds to him. Spoiler alert, it's not going to be favorable. Verse 22, and David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? Or do I not know that today I am king over Israel? So David is saying, uh, no, don't worry about avenging me. And if anybody's going to do it, it's not going to be you because uh, uh, he's Joab's brother. He's already demoted Joab without even telling him yet and replaced him with Amasa. Zariah is Joab's brother, if I remember right. Or he's related very closely to Joab. And he's also one of the army generals or commanders in the army. Um, and so David's telling him, no, it's not for you to take a revenge for me. Um, and besides that, I'm being um, getting the throne back today. So I'm not worried about getting vengeance in this moment. Verse 23, therefore, the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. So now, um, rather than get revenge on Shimei for calling him out for his wickedness as he was leaving in exile before, King David is saying, no, it's OK. You're not going to die for that. 
um, and he even swore to him. Verse 24. Now I'm a feeling, and I say that because I seem to recall uh, more treachery ahead for uh, David and Shimi, but maybe it wasn't Shimi, maybe it was someone else. Uh, verse 24. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes for the day. The, from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it sounds like Mephibosheth was being lied on by Ziba, his servant, who um, David gave the kingdom to, or gave his um, inheritance to. Not David's inheritance, Mephibosheth's inheritance. Because remember, Mephibosheth is Jonathan, Jonathan's son. And when he um, first appeared on the scene again, David gave all that was Jonathan and Saul's to Mephibosheth and Ziba to him as a servant, him and his family as servants to Mephibosheth. So now the fact that verse 24 says that Mephibosheth basically let himself go. He hadn't been grooming and taking care of his feet. Because remember, he's lame in his feet. Sounds like he might be a diabetic. Not real sure. It's But they said his injury, I know it said his injury was from um, um, being dropped when he was a child. And that he never recovered from it that way. So not diabetic injury. But the fact that they're talking about caring for his feet, I guess because he'd been lame in his feet, it, it's just mentioning that he hadn't been taking extra care of himself ever since David exiled himself and fled from his son Absalom. So it doesn't sound like to me that he was waiting for the kingdom to be given back to him the way Ziba told David he was doing. It sounds like he just didn't join uh David on the exile. Maybe he'll explain. Let's see. Verse 25. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, why did you not go out go with me, Mephibosheth? So now David is confronting him head on, asking him, why would he, why didn't he join him when in the exile? Why didn't he leave too? Since he's been good to him, basically, why did, wasn't he loyal to flee with him during the exile or at least offer to? And probably also checking to see if the story that Ziba, uh, Mephibosheth's servant, um, gave him, if that story was accurate and true. Verse 26, and he answered, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. So Mephibosheth is telling him that Ziba, his servant, lied on him, uh, deceived him and lied to him. Um, the same servant that, again, David believed and uh, took all that was Mephibosheth's and gave it to uh, Ziba by name. Uh, but Mephibosheth is letting David know that his servant was deceitful. Verse 27, he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, whatever, what is good, therefore do what is good in your eyes. <coughs> Excuse me. So Mephibosheth sounds sincere. He sounds like he's saying that Ziba was deceitful and lied and uh, slandered him to King David. And um, it sounds true. His story sounds accurate because if it weren't, then wouldn't he have taken care of himself and groomed himself and set himself and, um, and been on the ready for the kingdom to be turned back over to him? But he didn't do any of that. So it does sound like Ziba was lying on him. When Ziba went out to meet him and delivered those provisions to David without Mephibosheth um, with him. 
But Mephibosheth isn't worried about it. He's saying, I know, basically, he's basically saying, I know God is with you. And so do whatever you think is right. If you think I've been deceitful to you, then so be it. But he's letting him know his servant has lied on him and slandered him. Um, but he's not worried about his goods either way. He's saying he's just glad to see David return again. So he actually sounds very sincere the way it reads. Verse 28, for all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So it really does sound sincere. Mephibosheth is saying his father's house, not mine. He's saying his father's house were basically dead um, to the world. And only because David had mercy on him was he able to um, uh, rise up again and even sit at the king's table because of David's graciousness toward him. Verse 29, so the king said to him, why do you speak any more of your, ma of your matters? I've said you and Ziba divide the land. So more treachery. David's like, he doesn't want to hear any more about it. He doesn't want to have to think anymore about who's being honest, whether it's Ziba or Mephibosheth. So he's saying now, he's saying, I have said as if he said it in the past. He didn't. And if he did, it isn't written. But what he's saying at this point is, um, whatever, I don't want to hear it. You and Ziba divide up the land. Since he's given it to Mephibosheth originally, which was actually his inheritance as Saul and Jonathan's descendant. Um, so David really is just had really just restored to him what was his own anyway. But then now he's also been treacherous and given it to Ziba because he believed the story that Ziba um, presented him with when he showed up with provisions for him, which, like I said, when we read it, it didn't seem like an honest story that Ziba showed up with in the first place because why or where would Ziba have gotten those provisions from to take to King David? Wouldn't those provisions also have come from Mephibosheth since it's really all his properties and Ziba was just sort of the caretaker of it, the one who oversaw all of it? So it really didn't sound honest to me when we read it before. Um, it sounded like he was slandering um, Mephibosheth the way it, it's written. Um uh, but it seems David it was, believed it enough since Mephibosheth didn't show up. He believed the slander and took all that was Mephibosheth's and gave it to Ziba. Now, rather than even examine the matter any further, he's saying, y'all just divide it up. And he doesn't even want to deal with it anymore. Verse 30, then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather, let him take it all. Inasmuch as my lord, the king has come back in peace to his own house. So Mephibosheth really does sound like the most sincere one of the bunch, even more sincere than David, certainly more sincere than Ziba. He's saying he doesn't care about the goods, the provisions, the inheritance. He's saying he's just glad to see David come back um, safe and sound. So he's not worried about the things that, um, that David can uh, restore to him. Verse 31, And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogalim, and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. So someone else, Barzillai by name, has also shown up to help um, to be there as David crosses back over the Jordan to reclaim the throne. Verse 32, now Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Maharaim, for he was a very rich man. 
So the one Barzillai is older and he's wealthy. And he's also he also sent provisions to David when he was exiled. So he's shown up now to see him return to take the throne. Verse 33, and the king said to Barzillai, come across with me and I will provide for you while you're with me in Jerusalem. So that's the same thing he told um, Mephibosheth and then turned on him and took all that he gave him and gave it to Ziba. Now he's making the same similar offer to Barzillai, who's already got plenty, but just shown up to see him return to his glory of the kingdom again. So now he's telling Barzillai, come with me and I'll take care of you and provide for you um, while you're with me in Jerusalem. Let's see if Barzillai, Barzillai is older than Mephibosheth, so he's probably got a wiser answer. Verse 34, but Barzillai said to the king, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? So whether he really means it that way, uh, that's what he's saying. So we'll just take him at his word. He's saying at his age, what sense does it make for him to um, pick up and go to Jerusalem and live with the king? Um, but in my mind, what he's probably thinking is, I saw how you did Mephibosheth and taking care of him and quickly turned on him. I see how you've even if he doesn't know now, we can see how you, um, Joab was faithful to him and he's turned on him. Abishai was faithful to him and he's turned on him. Uh, so Barzillai is probably quite wise not to go ahead and just accept that offer from David, but to say, no, nah, I'm cool. Just wanted to see you come back. I'll head back to my own place. Verse 35, and I'm today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord, the king? So Barzillai is putting it on himself, saying at his age, he can't uh, hear so good anymore. He can't taste food like he, like, it should, like he could before anymore. He's basically saying old age is caught up with him. So what sense does it make for him to burden the kingdom? with an old man showing up there to be taken care of. Again, I think that's just his his way of putting on himself wisely, but actually knowing uh, David's pretty treacherous. Why should I be there with him uh, for when he turns on me? Uh, when he's got plenty of goods of his own, he's wealthy. Why don't he just go back to his own stuff rather than depend on the king to take care of him while he's in the king's good graces? Verse 36, your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? So Barzillai is extra humble in his old age. He's letting the king, King David, know, don't worry about repaying me for what I did for you. Um, I'm fine. I'll just go back with you as you reclaim the kingdom just a little bit of ways. And then I'll head back to where I came from. Verse 37, please let your servant turn back again that I may in my own city, near the grave. Uh, uh, but here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king, and do for him what seems good to you. So again, if you've read with me before, you know why I have to kind of stumble over these words here. My daddy's actually still alive, thank God. Um, my mama's passed away, but I, she's Christian. I don't believe um, the grave is what people generally think of as the grave being. So I'm careful, try to be careful about reading verse 37 out loud. But now what he's saying is, let him turn back to his own homeland so he can die where his parents died 
and be buried where his parents are buried. And he's saying, instead, let him give him a servant, Chimham, to follow along and go with him instead in his place. Uh, and if he feels like taking care of him and doing good things for him, then so be it. Let the blessing, the good things that David intended to put on to Barzillai, instead be done for his servant Chimham. Verse 38, and the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now, whatever you request of me, I will do for you. So um, David, in this sense, is being loyal to the fact that he's remembering Barzillai did send provisions for him when he was exiled. So he's telling him, okay, you can return back to your homeland if that's what suits you, and I will take care of Chimham, the servant you're um, um, giving to me, you're um, putting under my authority. Um, I'll do for him as you see fit, since... Um, you were helpful and loyal to me. Verse 39, Then all the people went over the Jordan, and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own place. So the elder Barzillai followed the king back to his kingdom, um, just to that point where he made it back over the Jordan, and now he's returning back to his own homeland, his own place. Verse 40, Now the king went on to Gilgal and Chimham, went on with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. So his own uh, family uh, branch the Jude of Judah have um, followed him back to the kingdom. Chimham, Barzillai's servant, has um, followed him back to the kingdom, and half of Israel, half the people of Israel, so half of the other tribes have also followed David back to uh, the throne of his kingdom. Verse 41, just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan? So now the, um, the other tribes um, collectively called Israel are now um, acting like they're outraged at the fact that the singular tribe Judah has returned King David back. Even though half of the tribe of Israel, half of the tribes of the rest of the tribes of Israel are also with them, at least that's the way it read. But now they're saying, well, why have y'all stolen away? And instead of instead of making it a big deal for all of the tribes. Verse 42. So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? So the um, tribe of Judah is answering the other collective tribes known as Israel saying, uh, he's a close relative, the closest to them. He's of their tribe, even though, again, they're all Israelites, but he's most closely related to them. But they're saying, even though he is most closely related to them, they haven't received any special benefits from him, uh, at, whether it's eating at his table or, um, I'm sorry, whether it's him being is uh, spending extra from the kingdom on them or giving them any gifts they haven't had any of that nepotism happening in their favor with david as the king verse 43 and the men of israel answered the men of judah and said we have 10 shares in the king therefore we also have more right to david than you why then do you despise us were we not the first to advise bringing back our king 
Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So the, <coughs> excuse me, the other collective tribes known as Israel are saying, we were the first ones to say, bring King David back, even before you, the tribe of Judah, who are more closely related to him, even decided to do that. So they're saying they also collectively have 10 tribes um, of the Israelites, whereas the tribe of Judah is just one. And the other tribe would be the Levites, which are the sort of the religious um, tribe of all the tribes. So I guess they're not including them in the count there. But they're saying they basically have 10 tribes that rely on him, whereas Judah is just one. Um, so they, they're saying they have more of a right collectively to the king than just the tribe of Judah does, even though they have the closer blood relation to him. Um, and the narrator here, the last sentence of that verse is letting us know that um, the argument that the people of Judah made was a more convincing or a stronger argument than the tribe of the collective tribe, um, the argument of the collective tribes of the Israelites in um, their support of bringing King David back to the throne. That was the last verse of this chapter. That's, so that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for the Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. And I hope 2023 is a great year for you and for me. God willing. Stay safe. I love you. God bless you. And I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.